Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Osiris. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. What's happening, everybody? This is Alex. Welcome to Moods and Modes, episode 35. Very special guest today that you're hearing in the background. That is the one and only Hailstorm. How does that to start your day? Or maybe you're listening at night. I don't know. Either way, you're going to feel quite a burst of energy when you hear these guys, because uh, they are, as uh, Sensei Johnny Lawrence of Cobra Kai might say, I have been watching that show. They are Badass rockers. That song's like audio caffeine. Can you believe there was ever a debate about whether girls can rock? Well, that debate's over. 
Thank you, Lizzie Hale, who is one of my guests, along with Joe Hottinger, the guitarist. And of course, Lizzie also plays guitar and has a signature guitar, which uh, we're going to talk about. Oh, and it's made by Gibson and really lives up to like the best of what Gibson has to offer. And we're going to bring in Lizzie and Joe momentarily. Before we do, I just want to do a little bit of brief housekeeping up front. And I suppose you could say I've reverted to the more typical practice in podcast land, which is doing housekeeping up front. Now, those of you who have listened for a long time know that I tend to kick off the episode and go straight for the jugular or the subject matter at hand and reserve any housekeeping for a short break that would happen at the halfway point, usually on the half hour. We're still going to do those short breaks in the middle, but this way we can keep them short and do some of the housekeeping up front. I appreciate those I've heard from who seem not to mind and some people even prefer it this way. On to the housekeeping. I'm taping this in the beginning of December, a couple months after my conversation with Lizzie and Joe. Sometimes the episodes don't come out in the order that the main content is taped for too many reasons to get into. But I cannot believe it is December and 2022 is entering the home stretch. On the last episode, I was encouraging people to vote. Please vote if you live in the U.S., and you did. So thank you, everyone, for voting. No, it wasn't a perfect outcome. The U.S. House of Representatives will still fall under Republican control, but thankfully only by a very slim majority. Nothing like the dozens and dozens of seats that were predicted. The red wave did not materialize. And most importantly, the statewide election deniers were kicked to the curb. That was really scary. And that had me and a lot of other folks looking towards moving outside of the United States. No kidding. Which still may happen at some point. There's such crazy stuff happening here. But for now, things seem cool. Yeah, that pretty much captures it. That's cool for now music. A line I played on keyboard to sound like a klezmer melody. That's from last year's political rap track, Big Lie. And I was just reminded to see if I had any klezmer or Jewish melody lying around, because this is the day after Ye or Yay or whatever the hell he's calling himself, went on the Alex Jones show and said, yes, quote, I like Hitler, unquote. That's where we are, folks. Anyway, let's focus on something a little more positive. A few days ago from when I'm talking to you now, we had the very first Osiris live concert in New York. Osiris, which is our awesome podcast network, has been doing a series of these events. I believe they did one in Seattle. I know they did one in Nashville. They've done several, and it's always a night of music and conversation. And this was the first one in New York. I was humbled to be placed in charge of assembling a band and working with the guests and getting the set together and basically musical directing. One of the guests was Karina Reichman, who is just awesome. I've actually known Karina for about 10 years because she was a star student at a local New York music program where I was a guest artist. I ended up taking her to this camp I gave with Chris Broderick, who was then the guitarist of Megadeth and Karina played bass and guitar, and helped uh, work with the other students. And now she is just hitting her stride. She has a podcast, Inappropriate Happiness. 
That's right here on the Osiris Network. She could occasionally be seen on late night television sitting in with the Seth Meyers band. And we've been trying to reconnect for some time. It's been difficult with our schedules, but this show brought us together. Also on the show was Scott Metzger, unbelievable guitar player, such a good guy. It was great to get to know him. And it's kind of funny that we hadn't met before because we have a lot in common. We both had the same guitar teacher on the East Coast, great jazz guitarist Vic Juras. We don't live far from each other. And actually, I don't want to get too into personal details on the show. That's not my style. I'm not Mark Marin, <laughs> But somebody very close to him was close to me. But it was a long time ago. And hey, the music world is small, especially when you're dealing with musicians of the opposite sex or the same sex, if that's your thing. <laughs> anyway, we totally hit it off. So Scott and Karina were guests and the core band was Eric Kalb on the drums, Michael Eckroth on the keyboards, who flew up from Florida. Thank you, Michael. And on the bass, Nathan Peck from the Alex Skolnick Trio, who you hear playing bass lines that close out every episode of this show. Anyway, it was a really cool night. I think it'll happen again at some point. But in the meantime, it's going to be turned into a podcast on Osiris. So you'll be hearing more about that soon. So one final thought before I bring in Lizzie and Joe. They are the first hard rock artists I've had on the show. I know that might seem weird or hard to believe, especially for those who think of me as the shredder dude from Testament. <laughs> but I see this podcast as the opportunity to explore many types of music. And that side of things gets so much oxygen in my career. There's also no shortage of podcasts focused almost exclusively on that. My friend Jamie Jostov, for example, goes around to metal festivals and talks to everybody. I can't do that. When I'm on tour, I'm focused on the show. That's where my brain is. So this podcast for me is something different, but it's an honor and a pleasure to welcome Lizzie and Joe as the first hard rock artists. They are great people. They are gracious. They're so gracious, in fact, that I screwed up the interview <laughs> using a new Zoom-like platform, and I pressed the wrong button, or I forgot to press a button, and it didn't record, and they agreed to reschedule. In fact, they're so down to earth, it's easy to forget that they're a big deal. Grammy winners, sold-out shows at large venues, coveted festival spots, radio hits, you name it. And the fact that we had to re-record the podcast, in a way, it made it even better because in the meantime, I had done the Night Bob episode and there's a connection between Hailstorm and Night Bob, <laughs> just like there's a connection between Walter Becker and Night Bob. So it's amazing. That's, to me, one of the purposes of this podcast, Moods and Modes, is to, to show these connections that you would never know about. Anyway, it is my great pleasure to bring in Lizzie Hale and Joe Hottinger of Hailstorm. Don't call me an angel, Don't make me but I got my wicked, got my wicked Thank you guys, thanks for uh, returning. No, thanks. thanks for having us again. <laughs> that was so funny, at a way. It was, it was. I felt like it was a personal confession <laughs> <laughs> that I hadn't hit record. So we know each other much better. Yes, yes. I, <laughs> that was like real vulnerability right there. You did great. Yeah. You did great. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
it's great to talk to you some more. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just a practice run. And now it's like, hey, yeah, we know you better. And yeah, this is probably going to be even better than the first time. So It's going to be oh. better. It's going to be way better. How was your uh, week? Oh, it was good. It was a hell of a week. But, uh, you know, here we are in the next week. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's been a hell of a half a decade. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll bet. Here we go. And time is going by so incredibly fast. We ended up visiting New York City for the first time in, I can't it's remember. Before the pandemic. I can't remember. Yeah, how was that? How was your visit? It was awesome. We're originally from Pennsylvania, so we used to go to the city all the time. Uh, and it was just great to kind of be back and feel the energy of the city. It was also just so happened to be Pride weekend. So it was just so joyous. Oh, was everybody yeah. was just chaos. And We just like hiked around the city because we haven't been there forever. Walked like 12, 15 miles just hiking around, going places we haven't been in a while. Oh. You know, it was Pride weekend, Pride Sunday, and it was just wild. Like, and everyone, yeah, everyone was so happy and so yeah. complimenting everybody. And there's so much joy in the air. It was kind of infectious. It was beautiful. I feel like you don't always realize how much of the weight of the world that we all feel at any given moment, uh-huh. you know, it's just like we're trying to combat stuff and it affects you like physically. And so it was kind of great to be like lost in this like celebration, joy, everybody's happy, everyone's giving compliments to each other. It was like, we forgot at least for a day about all the other craziness, yeah, negativity nice. going on. So soothing for the soul. <laughs> Do you guys get into that stuff much? Because I somehow have become part of this group with like D. Snyder, sometimes Nikki Six. It's a really strange group of folks. Uh, Tom Morello, <laughs> Tracy yeah. Guns. Because, yeah, we're just not holding back about opinions. Yeah. There's so much pressure not to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's pressure either way. And I Uh, feel like, at least for me, I try to pick and choose my moments, you know? mm -hmm. And if there's something that I'm absolutely passionate about, I want to say something. And I never used to be that way. In the early years, I kind of just rode right up the middle. Right. And I feel like as the years go on, I've gotten more, I keep using you know, this just like unbridled joy from just being honest. And a lot of the things that I stand by are fundamental truths, like be kind to one another, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh But it's gotten to the point today that you can just say that. A challenge for all musicians, just post that fundamental truth, just like be excellent to each other, you know, (laughs) Bill and Ted, come on. And you'll get so much hate for it, for just trying to put out that positivity. So yeah, like I said, pick and choose your moments, be passionate about it, because it really does help a lot of people to know that they're not alone and that you can actually be a voice for a lot of different people that either can't express their opinion or are afraid Just to. stick to singing, Lizzie. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what is this virtue signaling you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> You know, the problem is, like, I don't get into any arguments. I rarely comment, especially when I see friends and people I know say some of the dumbest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> and uh-huh. I don't say anything, though I want to, just because I always end up feeling worse every time, you know? Well, you can't get into arguments. <clears throat> to me, it's like, you make your statement, let people do whatever they're going to do with it, but you can't argue with stupid. And if you don't believe in love is love or being kind and trying to project and put out good energy and good vibe then you know honestly i don't really need to know you we've got enough friends like i don't need you in my life yeah, i don't understand when did being kind become controversial yeah yeah, yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah also just mind. be the biggest asshole you can be to as many people like i don't 
need people like that around. Yeah. Life's too short. <laughs> yeah, I I always feel like you know it's an elephant in the room. Always, if there's yeah. a you know a shooting or you know a fundamental right just got overturned, you know affecting half the population. And yeah. I'm kind of the same way now. I I choose my battles, but to me it's really difficult just to ignore it and act like nothing's going on. Yeah, exactly. There's no way to ignore it. I mean, we're being bombarded every single day with new bad news. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's hard to ignore it and push it away. And, and then you end up feeling a little helpless, like I should be doing something about it because we're so lucky to have this amazing platform where people, for better or worse, are listening to what you have to say. So yeah, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> That's something yes. that you can do. Yeah, and everything you say is interpreted or misinterpreted and there it's on blabbermouth there you go then you get the oh yeah feeders, which those guys crack me up i love i love it i'm like ooh, what'd they say this what'd time? They say, i know I feel like it used to be more creative their insults yeah. and they're kind of slacking and they start <laughs> careful mentioning they love their name mentioned no. they've been sticking to <laughs> some yeah. of the same tropes and it's hailstorm and alex skolnick discuss blabbermouth yeah yeah that's gonna be the headline <laughs> and they'll turn it into some clickbait provocative thing yeah like, oh. something out of it yeah <laughs> so last time <laughs> I, I was raving about the new record and i was talking about how it's very clear to me that you played the parts there's just not a lot of copying and pasting and fixing yeah. even though we all do some fixing but it's not obvious it manages to capture the feel of a band playing which is yeah, just it, so rare especially for a lot of modern heavy rock yeah. and it's incredibly refreshing oh well thank you man yeah we yeah. we always go for it's performance over perfection you yeah. know there's some things that don't need to be fixed that maybe they were happy accidents you know i remember when we were making the demo for strange girl strange girl yeah on the demo because we were just trying to like get the beats together something happened with the computer and it flipped the snare drum to the backbeat and we're uh, like, ooh, happy accidents. We got to make sure that RJ plays that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's really, it was, but yeah, I mean, that's in big part to Nick Raskulinitz, who produced the record. That's what you said last time. Yeah, he really yeah. is a stickler for that type of thing. Yeah, and that goes for, you know, vocals too. It has to be a performance all the way through because you're uh, going to be playing and singing that second chorus different. Right. Because you've already had all this buildup. So if you just copy paste the whole time, I feel like even if the listener, and maybe we just do it selfishly, maybe nobody would ever notice, but I feel like the listener can tell even subconsciously that it's like kind of flatlined the whole way through. So mm -hmm. for us, we just, we like doing it that way. Yeah, you don't, I don't think people know that they, yeah, I don't, you know, people. you're not consciously thinking, oh, I, I heard that copy paste, but it gets boring because yeah. it's the same exact we, thing. Right. You know? We hear it because, you know, like certain people have inflections. I hear it a lot, in, especially with the vocals, about like, okay, well, that definitely came from, the, you know, like the, the last chorus, the breath intake, like it, when it's all incredibly the same. You have trained ears. Yeah. So we yeah. notice, but, you know, and I don't knock anybody that likes to do it that way. There's some bands that have to do it that way and it's easier and that's just not how we do it. <laughs> we take the long road. Yeah. But I also think. Even people without trained ears, like they might not be able to point out why some music hits harder than others and why it sounds yeah. more a little more mechanical, but I think they know yeah. without knowing. Yeah. 
I've confessed to all you guys about this one. I, the way I first heard of you guys when you won the Grammy, I had no idea who you guys were. And I thought it was another one of these bands where everything's cut and pasted. And you guys had beat out like, I don't know, Motorhead and Made. And I'm like, who, who the hell yeah. are these guys? <laughs> and then I was schooled very people. quick. Like, dude, they're... <laughs> They're really good. You know, I deleted the tweet and it was, it was hilarious. In fact, maybe my problems recording this podcast is karma for that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I appreciate but it, man. Even on the non-heavy rock songs, I can tell that, yeah, you know, like raise your horns. I feel like I'm in the arena. Oh, that's so, awesome. Can you tell me a little oh. bit about tracking that song? Yeah. With Raise Your Horns, it was a funny idea that John and I were sitting out on the porch during lockdown, because that's what you do. And, you know, it was a little late night. Like, what? You know, I'd love to have a song called Raise Your Horns, but base it off of what that phrase actually means to me. And not just like, hey, heavy metal, you know? Yeah, you exactly. Know? <laughs> like posing for a picture. Raise your horns. Yeah. Yeah. Or the stage rap. Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> um, What's the complete opposite of what somebody would expect from that title if they saw it on the back of the record? And so we ended up deciding, like, okay, we're not going to have any drums. There's not going to be a loud guitar. It's going to be a ballad on piano. <laughs> and, like, halfway through, I'm just like, do we add instruments or whatever? But it was just always more, just a little bit more powerful with just the vocals and piano, which is something, you know, I'm a cheese ball at heart, so I love a good ballad. But with that one, that one was a little emotional because we were just kind of floating in this purgatory. We didn't have any gigs coming up and when everything was kind of getting a little lifted and then it would lock down again. So we'd get in the studio, we'd have to get out of the studio. Uh-huh. And it was one of those moments where like when I was doing the, the vocal performance, I got a little choked up about it because I'm standing there with my eyes closed and actually truly feeling what I'm saying and almost trying to recreate that moment that I know is going to happen if we ever get on stage, that moment where I know everyone's going to raise their horns and everyone's going to have that feeling togetherness and that fellowship. And I got a little choked up about it. And again, like kind of like what we were saying before, performance over perfection. And I turned to our producer, I'm like, I think I'm going to have to do that one part again. Because I got a little choked up. He's like, oh no, we're keeping that. <laughs> oh, oh no. yeah. So it's funny how like that stuff kind of happens. And as a trained singer and so there are certain parts like wait, yeah was that you know is that too human <laughs> you know and it's always you always err on the side of it being human and it being true to how you're feeling you know, over the perfection so it was a little bit of an exercise of that as well burn every fear every doubt like a funeral fire scream every anthem and follow your reckless desire Take back the crown that hangs at the gate Ready your march, steady your aim For the heart is a soldier that never loses its way So raise your horns, raise them high Let them soar, let them fly Up through the Yeah, and it's sometimes hard to be objective 
Yeah. Because you have all this, you're inside your own head. You need that producer or trusted ear to let you know, no, this is good. Who cares if it's not perfect or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And this one was also done as a performance from beginning to end. So I would do, I think it was like seven takes. We wanted to have that kind of arc of the performance because you're starting very kind of low and quiet right. and you want it to bloom. And so to find those things, and you, you know this because you're a performer, but you uh, can almost try to feel where to go and how to let it open up. And if you analyze it, every single chorus uh-huh. is just a little different. You do maybe a different run, you know, vocally, and then, okay, let's take it up a notch and actually pop the octave here. gave me goosebumps. All right, I'm jumping in for just a moment to say that obviously Hailstorm is doing just fine career-wise, but Lizzie could always fall back on a second career singing in church on a Sunday morning. I see the audience when I listen to that song, though, and I see the lighters, or I guess now it's cell phones, but, yeah. but it just takes you right yeah. there. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And we were wondering that, too, because we were like, okay, if we were perform this live, as soon as that chorus yeah. hits, I can see everybody raising it. And I'm like, I wonder if I'm right. You know, like, because yeah, it's been yeah. so long. And without fail, now we started playing that song out live. You know, I'll have a small piano section that the boys have named the uh, Miller Halftime Show. <laughs> because I'll be <laughs> and then you see them on the side rooms having a beer or whatever. I still think we should put stools around my piano. And yeah. you can just have a... Have make a it a cooler. Bar, make inside. it a cooler inside. Yeah. <laughs> I love the matter. irony. Yeah, because when yeah. I saw the title "Raise Your Horns," I was sure it was going to be like a, a Judas Priest type thing. Yeah, you're not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's I, like, I was, I was a little shocked. I was expecting it to be a banger at the end. But, yeah. Yeah. I like ironic things. Yeah, master yeah. of puppets having a ballad <laughs> in the middle of the song. The middle of the song, and like exactly. reconstructing it, like. I always thought that was so brilliant. Another ironic moment, bright side. <laughs> you know, you're talking about the bright side of life and you're making it clear, yes, everything sucks right now. Everything but sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, bright side. Ironically, the darkest song on the album. That one was a lot of fun because it like that was at that point you know, for all of these songs, there's like a lot of songs that preceded them, you know, whereas uh-huh. like they're just like the practice runs. I'm a serial drafter and redrafter. So it's like starts out in a certain way. And yeah. then all of a sudden, when you have all the pieces of the puzzle that don't, that don't quite fit together, maybe it's like you take certain lines from here, certain lines from there. And that was that song where it's like, we're just like fed up with everything. Yeah. And it's like, you know, 
So there's a little sarcasm in there, which I always enjoy, and full snarkiness. It's like, like, this is it. Welcome to your best life, you know? really like the lead tone as well. Do you remember what you used for that? I can't remember what yeah. was used on. I'm sure it was probably, it was one of the amps, the main amps is either the early Marshall with the um, Tube Screamer mm-hmm. or one of those Freedmans or Diesel or the yeah. Faulkner. <laughs> yeah, when we were talking last time, you did a run through of all the gear. It sounds like an insane amount of gear that, that you guys went through. I, I really yeah. like Friedman's myself. I don't own one, but I've used them in studios, and they're, they're always great. No, oh, um, they're awesome. We have one of those little um, 18-watt. Yeah, those guys. One, uh, one of the Jerry Cantrell ones that Dave made. We both have them in a case that we just roll into a backstage room, and it's like our pre-show jam yeah. amp scene. It they sounds sound great. amazing. And you know if like something happened to one of our amps and whatever, we could just probably just yeah, roll that roll thing out, on there. And mic it. Fucking Hell yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, have a little the- pedal, uh, Friedman pedal, oh, yeah. which I'm, thank you for reminding me because I need to bring it. I'm leaving a week from today. Which yeah. which Friedman pedal is it? Hang on one second. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> Sorry. I just saw no, it right be- there. I'm like, okay. I <laughs> The small box, it's called. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Nice. Yeah, it's great. So what do you, how do you use it? What do you use it? Is just like a an overdrive or like a boost or yeah. So we're using Kempers. They're just so easy for travel, especially overseas. Yeah, it sounds a little more yeah. convincing. I think with that box. Oh, yeah. killer! I, I mean, cool. other ones work as well. I've used different distortion boxes, but when I saw Friedman makes a little box, I'm okay. That's got to be the one. That's awesome. I know. Well, you know, yeah, that's one of the great debates right now. I don't even know. We're sticklers. We're sticking to tube amps everywhere we go even when we got to rent them and i've tried to use the kemper and stuff on stage axe effects the axe effects i've tried them but it's just not yeah i've tried the axe effects i i agree with you there and i think it's a great sound it's just it's like one great sound it's very hard to change it and find a an individual sound i use the kemper down here when we're making demos i like nick modeled my red Marshall, my purple Marshall, and a bunch ah. of his amps, and kind of gave me the models he made. We went over to Blackbird and did it with one of the guys, and they're they're close, you know. And they're great to use for demos. You can stack and stack these different amps, and I love the ease of that. I don't have to sit back here and mic stuff uh-huh. up and change out amps, you know, like yeah. get the idea out and hustle on it, and it's a demo, so <laughs> it's not making a record, but uh, yeah. There's a weird sort of pride I have being the loudest person when we play these <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, we have to turn our amps backward. The cabinets. Oh, yeah. The cabinets, wow. yeah. And like clockwork, uh-huh. without fail, because all of the stagehands will be hanging out back uh-huh. there. And then as soon as we start, they all scatter. Oh, <laughs> it just clears it. Run. We don't even warn anybody anymore. We're just like, all right. I wish I could remember the name. My... Uh, Guitar Tech or our, our front of house found these speakers. They used to work for Dickie Betts back in the ah. day. And, you know, Dickie was just oh, yeah. 
deadly loud. There was jokes amongst the crew, like, you don't walk around Dickie's amp, you're going to get hurt. And um, <laughs> But he would use these JBL, they're like 250-watt speakers, at four of them in his 4 by 12 And they don't make them anymore, but there's a guy in Spain that is making clones of hmm. them, and I wish I could remember his name. But they found him, and we got him, because I was going through speakers. Because, you know, it's a 100-watt Marshall from hmm. 1971. No, and it's nice. definitely way more than 100 watts, probably hitting 200. And it's just so incredibly loud and powerful. And we put these speakers in, and the cabinet weighs like 1,000 mm. pounds now, wow. you know. <laughs> but it, like, there's no distortion from the cabinet. It's just clear as a bell, like whatever the amp is it delivering it takes. And, and it's awesome. And it does, with the cabinet turned backwards, like there have been some, it's like as loud as the festival PA. Like it's pretty gnarly. <laughs> That's so funny. You mentioned the story about Dickie Betts because I just had a talk with a tech, a legendary tech for the podcast. And he he's worked for Aerosmith. He worked for Walter Becker of Steely Dan for a long time. And the Walter oh, nice. Becker story, it's just like Dickie Betts. He was the loudest person on stage. <laughs> they had to have his cabs over on stage left like the opposite of like nobody hung out on the side of the stage because they had to keep his cabinets there <laughs> turned backwards same thing were you talking to, to night bob night bob yeah oh, oh sweet. I love love night night bob. you know night bob we've known him since before we were signed he ended he ran sound for us a bunch yeah, of times he, at he saw us one hills. time at don hills yeah. and then he, every time we played, come back and do the sound for oh, us. Oh, that's so we, we were crazy! Such, oh, I wish I knew that. Yeah, for Atlantic Records, wow. we kept playing. We played Don Hill once a month because Don saw us and was like, "You guys got to come back. I got to introduce you to people." He's like, "Come back every you know one Wednesday a month, and we'll keep wow. you know bringing people out." And then night us, and then he started hanging yeah. out. And, that's amazing. Sweet guy, really yeah. sweet dude. Yeah, I got to hear a bunch of the. Oh, the, the stories, stories are incredible. Yeah. That's this whole thing now feels so um, cosmic. Yeah, yeah. We met at this pub, and it's one of the oldest pubs. Anyway, afterwards we were w walking down the street, and there's Don Hills, and it's been closed forever, but it's still got the logos. It's still. Did you meet at the ear? We met at the ear. Yeah. Is that what that was? If called? You know the ear. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that place is great. That's so we cool. You guys know him and know know that place and. We should have gone to the ear while we were in Why? town. What were we doing? Oh, we got to go back. Yeah, no, yeah. There's never enough. Is the ear the still, still there? The ear is still there. Yeah, that's where we went. That's yeah, so make cool. a note for next yeah, time. Yeah, those were fun times, man. I mean, I feel like just between Night Bob and then Don Hill, just between those two guys, I mean, that was a huge reason that we started to get noticed in the city. I hate to interrupt, but we're about at the midway point, a little past the half hour. We're going to go extra long today because we have so much hailstorm. And the story about Lizzie and Joe and the band meeting up with Night Bob and Don Hill, the club owner, and the effect that that had on their career is pretty amazing. So you're going to hear that right on the other side of this. Just a couple quick announcements since we did most of the housekeeping up front. The final concert of the year for me is December 16th at New Blue in New York City with the Alex Kolnick Trio. So if you're in the city or the New York Tri-State area, please come out. We'd love to see you. And don't forget, in January, first thing that's happening is the Joe Satriani G4 Experience in Las Vegas, presented by Dreamcatcher Events. I am so thrilled to be a part of this. It includes such young upstarts as Peter Frampton and Steve Lukather. 
Okay, maybe they're not exactly young upstarts, but on the younger side of things, we do have Mateus Asado and Corey Wong and Neely Brosh, and in between, Eric Gales, myself, John Five, the new guitarist of Motley Crue, by the way, and uh, others. I can't even name them all. I'm so thrilled to be in such company, and I look forward to this event. I just found out Jordan Rudis is going to be there playing keyboards. Joe's whole band is going to be there, and... Tickets are still available. Makes a great Christmas gift. Oh, and let's not forget Joe Satriani himself curating the whole thing. I imagine we're going to get an episode or two of Moods and Modes out of this. So really look forward. And uh, now let's get back to my conversation with Lizzie Hale and Joe from Hailstorm. It was literally downhill. Like wow. so we went up to showcase for something didn't uh, work out. And Don was like, hey, you guys have to meet my lawyer. He's going to get you a record deal. Trust me. I haven't seen a band like you come through here in a while. You know, he was really hmm. sweet. So he met his lawyer and the guy was like, yeah, let's go. He's like, come back next week. We'll uh, bring your acoustic. We'll go to Epic. We'll go to Columbia. And we're like, all right, <laughs> let's sweet. go. You know, we went up there and then we played that night and he brought out Lee Lust from Atlantic Records. He's like, I think this is your guy. Those were just warm ups, And Lee was great. You know, we spent the next six months. We must have showcased for Atlantic like. 20 oh, yeah. times. It was awesome because it was a personal mission to like, it was always happening at Don Hills and we were living in Pennsylvania uh, at the time. So it's like, whatever, a four hour mm -hmm. ride. And we would gather up all of our super fans in Pennsylvania. We'd rent a van and get them drunk mm -hmm. and take them to Don Hills. So it looked like we had a following in New York city, even though we totally didn't. Oh, what a great idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the place would be like filled with people and they were all people that were our fans. So just like the excitement of it, but. Man, but, I remember yeah. the rats running oh, around I know. the pipes. There, there were rats plane. in the rafters. They're like, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the city. Yeah, but awesome. they were like rats the size of cats, man. It was crazy. <laughs> Wasn't it Josh, our bass player, Josh, like, just kept an eye on it. Like, I don't know, are the rats going to fall <laughs> from the raptors and be part of the show? Just chasing them around stage. That would have been a hell of a show. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> we should just start that. Just unleash the rats. <laughs> <laughs> See what the crowd does. I think the band Rat had a video like that. Oh, did they? Except I think they were playing at a house. Yeah. And then the, the rats awesome. come out. Oh, and <laughs> Our producer, Nick, loves rat. He loves rats. Literally his favorite band. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Those are Very. great sounding records. Great guitar playing. Yeah. I met Don Hill once, but yeah, I never played there. I, but yeah, I had no idea you guys had history there. And the fact that you knew Night Bob is so cool. That's so serendipitous. Yeah. That's awesome. We either met Night Bob there or we met him because he was working with Silvertide. I feel like when, we met him when they that, yeah. started out and had all their hype going. Remember that band, Silvertide? No. Or Philly band. Clive Davis signed him this huge record deal and Night Bob Road managed them. And there are these kids playing like this Amazing. Aerosmith type blues rock. They were just incredible. Wow. Like Nick Perry and Walt. I mean, well, they were rock yeah. stars, you know, they, they look great. They were killer on stage and they're great players and got on a bunch of killer tours. Made, yeah, Nick just, Nick well, just made Walt's a record. Still doing what happened? Something didn't work out. Didn't work like, out, didn't yeah. connect. I don't know. Who knows? I, don't, I wasn't. You never know. Aren't they but, getting back together? But I know. Nick is still playing. I, I know Nick so many playing. stories just like that. Yeah, Nick I mean, Well, that brings up a question. So for every hailstorm, right, there are how many silver yeah. tides? How many? There are so many. I mean, we saw it happen when we were making our first record. We were stuck in California. And that was a whole 
whole thing. And this was in 2008, 2007, 2007, 2008 through 2008. And we saw, I mean, even on Atlantic, I mean, that was when the industry was changing and I mean, all of our peers were getting dropped left and right to the point that like, Every time that we would hear about that, we'd be like, well, we're probably next in the list, guys. You know, and we would go get like a bottle of champagne. We're like, <laughs> all right. And we might be going home. Drink I don't up know. Now. And, yeah. uh, Bombs away. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It was, it was an interesting time. And it's definitely not lost on us uh-huh. that, I mean, there's a lot of hard work, of course, but there's a lot of luck that goes into that too. And we didn't know if we were going to connect to anybody, you know, it's like we had been out on tours and all that and then now you're making your first record be like i don't know it could be great and people could want more you know or the industry changes and all of a sudden nobody wants to hear you anymore i don't know it's it's, i mean it's such a crapshoot there's no guarantee feels like a crapshoot oh of course every single time we release rock and roll like (laughs) just gonna keep going i don't know yeah let's just enjoy it (laughs) yeah well, I think that attitude right there, that helps explain part of it, right? Because it's so difficult and it's so unglamorous the majority of the time. Except for that one hour, 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah that little brief little time you're on stage or in a video or, or an award show. Or, totally but that's awesome. such a tiny fraction of it. And it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of bands don't realize that until they get in it. And then there are some bands that like, you know, you get together. We're really lucky that we all still like each other you know we all still hang out we still have a lot of fun together laugh, and laugh yeah, well. we laughs we <laughs> laugh to the point of tears nearly every single day on that's tour. amazing just keeping that up too i think a lot of people that doesn't always work out whereas like you all of a sudden you're living two oh, feet I from know. your bandmates you know and you're like you don't i don't like you don't like them anymore I don't like you. Uh, we've we've been on tour with bands like that i remember i'd <laughs> i'd be having a conversation with one of the bands that we're touring with and we're like, oh, Lizzie, what are you going to do for the day off? And I'd say something like, I don't know, the guys and I usually, maybe we'll go bowling or we'll see a movie together. And, <laughs> and th- like, they literally stop me like, wait, together? They're like, in shock. You're not just right? like going <laughs> on your own. I'm like, you guys like each other? Like what? Yeah, exactly. It's a weird thing. <laughs> I feel like that helps too, because as you're going through yeah. all of this immense and intense roller coaster ride that is this journey of being a musician mm-hmm. and trying to maintain, you know, we've hit a lot of walls. We've had a lot of ups and downs and nobody knows that journey and what it takes besides the four of us. Like nobody knows on the outside of the four of us, what we've actually been up against. And so to have that kind of understanding and especially for me, like, and that support from my guys. And I have this thought far too often now, like if I had started out and I was just going to be a solo artist, which uh-huh. I was always deadly against. There are a lot of people like, oh, no, you should lose the band and just do this or you should go pop or you should do this. And I was always just, you know, a stickler. I'm like, no, I'm keeping my guys. <laughs> We're in this rock. together. I want to rock. It's funny because now I think about uh-huh. it. If I had listened to them, you know, because like, oh, whatever, it's up to you and I need your advice. I don't know if I could have made this on my own, you know, because it must be so difficult for solo artists because especially coming up, because now all of a sudden the only people that you have surrounding you uh-huh. are the yes people, the people, the, you're, the you're people that you're paying. So they're just going to agree with whatever. And you can't really find that true, you know, brutal honesty mm-hmm. <laughs> that you need when in a band, like we all, we keep the communication lines open. You know, if somebody's having a problem, 
are like, all right, we're going to deal with it now. We don't let anything fester. I don't think we are physically able to do that. (laughs) I can't shut up. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, also, if you had done that, you would be like so many other singers. Exactly. Right. There's just no shortage of individual pop singers that have a writing team. Yep. And they're kind of dictated to about how they should sound, you know, for a large part of it. Yeah, what you're doing is so much rarer. I feel like, and this is something that dates back to before we started the band and like when I'm trying to navigate through middle school and all of that and understanding Uh that I'm not necessarily like like the other girls. And I imagine you were never like the other girls. I just... <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> and I discovered that from an early age. Yeah, but um, it's interesting because even when you're trying to make your band happen and uh, trying to figure out where you fit, well, instead of trying to figure out where you fit, well, where's the hole? What's the thing that isn't there that you don't see? Right. And for me, coming up in Pennsylvania and we're playing bars and whatever, there was the people that wanted to be like acoustic singer-songwriter like Jewel and all of that back in the day. And then there was the bluesier Cheryl Crows in the scene, like not literally Cheryl Crow, but they wanted to be that. And then there was like, there were some metal singers, but it was a lot of like that. It's either like super operatic European metal, or they were girls that would be doing like disturbed covers and that Uh stuff. And so I didn't see myself in any of these people. And I didn't see on a local level and, and even on a broader term level like i had to go back and listen to those foremothers of rock for inspiration because there wasn't really someone that i saw myself in you know so you almost have to invent it you know you have to be like okay you know i'm gonna sing like this i'm going to put myself into this hard rock vein because i love this genre so much but there's nobody out there like me so that's kind of cool and i remember you know, when I was a teenager, being kind of pounded into my head. And I was very lucky to have strange parents as well. And that were encouraging of all of that. And I remember my dad saying something to the effect. Uh Yeah. I remember my dad saying something to the effect that nothing great ever happens if you're just trying to fit in, you know, you always need to stand out for something great to happen. And so it got to the point where, where it became kind of a personal mission statement, even like the things that I was wearing, if I saw a lot of other people wearing that same thing, I'm like, all right, I'm not wearing that anymore. <laughs> you know, It's like, I'm yes. never, never with the trends. I'm still not. I have a mishmash. Of, I don't even know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it just becomes one of those things where you just keep finding, you keep following what you love and you keep doing it. I guess RJ took that advice too. Oh, definitely. <laughs> RJ has always been totally fine just standing out he's i think he was born like where's the camera i'm camera ready and i'm just going to jump in for one moment to elaborate for anybody who might not know rj is the band's drummer rj hale the other hale in hailstorm and also lizzie's brother and in contrast to the music which can be quite dark and intense at times rj is a ham he gives new meaning to the word ham in terms of how he dresses and his jokes. He has a great sense of humor, as you'll hear about right now. We were in a, one of these collaboration videos with a bunch of different artists. Oh, yeah. He just like stole the show. It's like at one point it stops and he just does this crazy monologue and it's hilarious. Like 
who is this guy? <laughs> We've always encouraged him to just be himself and he could do a one-man show, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it would be hilarious. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I know. With all of his horrible dad jokes, they're oh, so bad. Terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were at a festival in Australia, and RJ is a good personality gauge. If you're meeting somebody new, like people are either mm. absolutely think he's wonderful or they don't understand him at all and and are annoyed by it. <laughs> right. So uh. we were we were in catering, and RJ comes out in this pink pineapple suit with these crazy flamingo glasses thing and we're at like a metal festival so everybody's in black and he walks into catering <laughs> and this drummer from another band literally was like what he came right up to him just like up to rj's what are you wearing and of course i get my back up a little bit because like that's my little brother you don't make fun of him i make fun of him <laughs> yeah right and, you say he was like he was oh, like he's, one he's, week in on the road with us and you won't you'll be you won't be wearing that shit well, anymore well no he said <laughs> he said he said give us what no he said give us one hour and we will break you of that and rj he's like gets his silent revenge back because that particular uh. drummer was going to watch our set that night and so what does rj do <laughs> instead of going and changing into something that's black he found where did he find it he found this like viking helmet and all these like mardi gras beads on and he's like like tinfoil in his teeth and like like he had a grill and and like like the most ridiculous like a grill i just got my arm because rj like a little john the rapper rj's like rj's like he doesn't he i'm like i'm like good for you bro he's like yeah, that guy doesn't have the balls to wear what I'm wearing right now. I'm like, hell yeah. I'm, like, I'm so proud. Such a proud artist for that day. Oh, my God. Was this in Europe or uh, the U.S.? Australia. Yeah. Hilarious. It was totally hilarious. We started to talk about guitars last time. You told me yeah. in the studio you sort of went through a whole bunch of guitars, but you narrowed it down to a couple of guitars. And then, of course, we have this great new signature Gibson Explorer Bird to talk about. So tell me a little bit about those in any order you choose. Well, between the two of us, how many guitars we had? Like 90 something guitars yeah. or something like that. So know. we brought everything awesome. to the studio just because why not? More guitars. Yeah, always. And then I think hmm. we bought a few during the process, but it got to always. the point where like there was nowhere to sit down because we ran out of guitar stands and racks. And- and so then all of a sudden we had to turn to the couches and the chairs and be like, all right, that one's there. But yeah, it would just be a shootout every time. And there's like a pile, a very messy pile of pedals and then, you know, all the amplifiers. And so we would kind of choose as we go, like, just like, okay, try that one. Well, it's great. That's not right. It's Dude, great that's- having them all, you know, in front of you. Like yeah. between us and Nick, Nick's guitar, Nick's guitars. got a great guitar yeah. collection and amp collection too. And you know, there was like well over a hundred guitars in there and everything's out, out of its case and kind of around. Wow. You, can, you know, you're like, all right, this is the part. What are we doing? And like, I haven't played that one in a while. Let's try that. And yeah. cool. Oh, no, let's go back to Les Paul or let's hit the Explorer or the SG and, or the this one needs a Strat or a nice, cool, clean telly thing, you know? And yeah. It's just fun. It's like being a kid in a candy shop. And it takes a while to get a sound. I mean, people don't realize that. I just did a session for a friend, just a little guitar solo part. And I, I had to go through my whole pile here yeah. just to find something that would fit. Yeah. And yeah, it just doesn't happen like that. It's, it's not just playing, you know, that's a part of the whole process, obviously. But 
it takes a while. You got to get the mics right. What mics are you using and what preamps are you running through and how's it entering the board? And then what amps is it? And are they talking, complimenting each other, you know? Which yeah. takes a lot of thought and a lot of time not playing. And so much of it is that it's organizing, figuring out gear, getting sounds, playing one chord, turning knobs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. Making a record isn't like, it's a slow, it takes a while for a reason. You know, I'm a fairly impatient person, generally speaking. And like, I used to get frustrated in a studio. I'm like, come on, like, why can't we knock out a song? And like, song a day, let's do it. And it's yeah. Like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm feeling it. Yeah. Come on. All right, hold on. You know, and it's always, Nick has such a good pace because he makes sure you don't burn out, you know, and keeps the vibe uh, up. And mm-hmm. you hustle too hard like that and you're going to burn out fast because it's intense. They're yeah. long days. And so there's always like, you know, oh, let's just, hey, listen, do you ever listen to this record? Let's just listen yeah. to this, listen to this stuff, you know, or just listen to records. And, you know, meanwhile, Nate, the engineer's in there getting the next thing ready. And I don't know. It's good. Yeah, it's cool. It's tough when you hit that wall and all of a sudden it's like you can't even hear what you're trying to do anymore. And we've been in studio sessions like that where it's like we're just beating our head against a wall and it's like we can't even tell if it's right right now because you've just been doing the same thing. You know, it's like trying to figure out this same box. So, yeah, like Joe said, Nick's really good at pivoting. <laughs> Be like, OK, we're getting. He sounds great this guy nick nick, nick he sounds he sounds really positive and great to work with yeah he's a, he's a dude he's one of the good guys out there you know there's a few i mean his few track folks. record is legendary yeah. i mean between the foo fighters and the queens last, of the stone age last two rush the records, last two rush records Allison chains, Allison chains wow. you know he is who he is he doesn't like put on a different hat to hang out with people i think he wears his emotions on his sleeve and He's such a fan of all the bands that he works with. He can see himself front and center down as a fan in the crowd. And he brings that energy to us. I mean, just recording in the studio, like he'll be right next to you the whole time. You're like, all right. And again, uh-huh. what we were talking about before that performance over perfection. Like, okay, here we go. Um, we're coming into the first course. I'm going to need one skadoosh. Then that's like, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go triple, triple, triple go, go. You know, and so keep, keeping that momentum going. And then wow. with my little brother on the drums, he'll be in with uh-huh. with a stick and just like almost conducting, like playing, like along. playing along with him, just keeping that, you know, keeping everybody excited and. And making it fun because those things are fun to do. It's like you can get so into yeah. your own head with just like, okay, like we're almost, you don't play like yourself, you know? Like I know, you know, that goes in the studio. We're almost like. You can overthink. Yeah. And it's yeah. like now all it's, of a sudden it's very mechanical. Forget to have fun. Yeah. So he keeps a grand balance with that. Yeah. Recommend him to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mentioned that. I love the new record. Thank you. It's heavy. It hits hard. Can we just do like a lightning round on the songs sure. that we haven't discussed? Absolutely. All right. Back from the Dead. Yeah. Obviously, that's coming out of lockdown and COVID. And- yeah. On the edge of the world, getting lost in I mean, it was almost a pep talk because I went 
through a couple different depressive states and all that during the whole thing. I don't think you really realize how much you use all of those things, like the touring, the live shows, the camaraderie with your bandmates, the forward movements, the fans. And you don't realize how much you use all of those things as weapons in your arsenal to like just combat Mm -hmm. that darkness. So for me, it was almost trying to like predict the future and be like, okay, when I am on stage, what do I want to say? What's the war cry of survival? That song went through a couple different drafts. I think the first one was called It's Alive or something like that. You found an old picture of me drafting lyrics. But anyway, finally put the puzzle together. And as soon as that song was done, we're like, okay, unless we beat it with something really crazy, this has to be the first song on the record. It has to be the first one that goes out. So we ended up releasing that before we were even done with the record. Yeah, we released last August or something. Yeah. I ended up using my Explore Bird on, on that one just because it stayed in tune run license and drop C. So yeah, that one was a beast for that. But yeah, love it. All right, Wicked Ways. Wicked Ways. We just did a video for this Yeah, song. it's the next single. I love the the breakdown in the bridge. It's something we've never done before. Like, you know, your triplet. Yeah, it's totally unpredictable. It's a nice, nice turn. That's one of our favorite riffs to play live. That's so much fun. And then the crowd just goes nuts at that part too, because it's like right. it halts and then you just kind of slingshot them into that part. It's, yeah. it's really fun. But yeah, I mean, you know, lyrically with this, this is where my dark and light can kind of form a truce. <laughs> or, <it's, laughs> you know, I'm not, I, I'm not inherently evil. I'm not a bad person, but <laughs> I, I but can. But you have your wicked. I, nope. I, I can be me. Every everybody, everybody's got the the little devil and the little angel yeah. on, on the shoulder. Yep. Sometimes you you got to listen to them. <laughs> As strange girl, that's like what we were talking about before. You said you weren't like the other girls in, yeah. in school. I'm, I'm sure that song will probably be relatable to quite a few young ladies. It's been amazing getting the feedback from that particular song. Uh-huh. And there's so many people that have some of the lines tattooed on them now. And it's great. That one was a surprise. I wasn't sure if like people were really going to gravitate toward that. But that was directly inspired by a conversation that I had with a 15-year-old little girl artist chick online and she was having a hard time Uh she was in lockdown with some very emotionally abusive parents and she was reaching out online to try to talk about that so kind of took that conversation into one Uh of our writing sessions and i want to give her an anthem not a ballad something that she can wake up every morning and be like okay I'm able to own myself, own my weird, own what makes me different, own my truest self. And also, Lizzie's got my back because she's a strange girl, too. So it's just, you know, being it was fun. Then I ended up telling her, I'm like, there's a song on the album that's for you. I'm not going to tell you which one. You can get me straight to hell. You can crucify my name. You can throw me to the walls. You can burn me in the flame and say, she's such a strange girl. Just like me. Me out of me. Me 
that song is one of those experiments with like I'm obsessed with like big rock. Like how is this gonna sound in a huge arena or something? Yeah. You know, like uh-huh. Oh yeah, the riffs. Yeah, it's yeah. You know, just like this wall. That one is just a wall, and and it's fun to play live because it is, you know, big dumb. You know, and it's not. I don't say that it's dumb, but it's just so big and wide. It's hard for me to slow it's, down like that and try to, see, to write yeah. that. <laughs> then I, I ended up using a vocoder on this song too, which uh, I never used before. So that was fun, but <laughs> fun and strange. Nice. <laughs> Bright side, we already talked about the steeple. It's a pentatonic bulldozer. <laughs> uh-huh. Right up the middle. Yeah, that was one of those songs where, again, we're like trying to just recreate the church of rock and roll that we that we believe in so much and that we were missing so much. And that feeling. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to take it. I, I've heard a lot of our fans are taking it, not necessarily as an ode to the rock show, but, you know, battling depression and what, and that fellowship that you feel at a live show where you can physically feel that cloud being lifted when you're either watching something or if you're playing it, there is that amazing relief that you feel uh, when you're surrounded by people just like you and everyone's screaming their favorite song and was just missing that so much. So in a selfish way, we're just trying to recreate that feeling and actually talk about it. Another one of my favorite solos of yours on this record. Yeah, that was a fun one yeah. to put together. I think I had a janky fill-in solo on that song, too. And I was like, yeah, it's yeah, not good enough. Yeah, well, it's because of the Back from the Dead solo that he, we were already getting it mastered. It was mastered. It was <laughs> it done. It was already and, done. You know, you show, I showed the song to a friend of mine in another band. And as soon as I got the solo, I realized, like, oh, no. <laughs> it wasn't the right thing. Like, that's not the right thing. Like, she's ripping. And this solo didn't add anything to the song for sure. And yeah. I was like, Nick, I got to redo it, man. I'm sorry. Give me a day. I'm going to figure it out yeah. and, and compose it. Because the other one was just kind of winging it, improvising in the studio. And we're like, yeah, that'll, that'll do. And Yeah, which can work for certain parts, sometimes, for certain songs. Sometimes. You, you just nail it. You know exactly what to do with it. That one and Steeple, I really like spent some time Double composing. Down. and like, like, All right, let's use some of the melodic themes that she's singing but give it a band thing and and some of the like similar riff type things we do it in a different way working then get a lick in there you know <laughs> we recorded this album differently than the way we normally do and i ended up doing all of the keeper vocal takes to the demos before we ended up building it up for real musically which is like the opposite you're like building the pyramid upside down i guess but it <laughs> Yeah, so it was all built around the vocal. Not that I need any more attention, obviously. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but that actually makes perfect sense to me because, in a way, right? It's supposed to interact. With yeah. So because the, the cherry on on the Sunday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the cherry on the Sunday. Yeah. Know, so the cherry was in place 
And so it was actually really kind of fun to almost have that as your roadmap, you know, it's like, so you're being inspired uh-huh. yep. by certain melodies or, or little breaks here and there. Okay. Well, how do we fill that up? You know, instead of kind of imagining it and then sure. right, Lizzie, last person in, you get in the booth and sing on top of everything. So it makes total sense to me. And it was fun to work around it because the vocals are there and the harmonies. So you already like any candy, any top, you know, let's get some high information uh-huh. here. You know yeah. where it works and where it doesn't work, you know, and what needs to be filled in. And, and you know, like you think of Hailstorm, you think of Lizzie Hale. It should, she's the front of it. You know, you're coming <laughs> out this way. Like in the song Bombshell, like we wrote 20, 30 songs before we even got to that one. Yeah. And sometimes like I'll, I'll put a track together and be like, hey, here's this music. I think it's cool. And, put something and on we it. yeah put something <laughs> on it. And sometimes it's just like you're singing to the music, you know. You you let the music drive, and then there's times I mean, like in Bombshell, you that, and then it's like you took the wheel, you know, yeah. and made it the yeah. engine. And like a and went forward and so recording that way with you in front mm-hmm. it's amazing because then you're always to me where you should be like yeah. at the front you're the singer you're the well because there is that thing that voice. happens you know and i it happens musically too but absolutely with vocals it's like when you're writing something and it's new and you have like the concept and the idea and and, and you put that together wow. There's this excitement that happens that shows in the recording that after months and months of you like hearing the songs and then you're building up the tracks and whatever, you're going to sing it in a different way and you're going to play it in a different way once you're like used to it. And sometimes some of that magic gets lost. So it's important. Cool. Tell me about uh, Terrible Things. Terrible Things. Terrible Things, lyrically, it is just still trying to maintain some faith in humanity when you're no. surrounded by so much hate for hate's sake and we're still fighting over these petty differences that shouldn't matter. I think it was important for us to have a song on this record that was a little bit, not a love ballad, but not really a ballad, but something a little bit more talking about the weight of the world, you know? Most without being have, preachy. Without being preachy, but just an observation. And this was a song that my friend Scott Stevens had started a couple of years ago and it was called I am terrible things. It was like very disparaging. Like I'm such a horrible person, you know? And I'm like, bro, I love where this song is going, but I can't sing that. So we ended up rewriting the whole thing to terrible things. And I see terrible things. And here's, here's the wickedness of the world. And here's the hole that we're in. But I have to maintain that faith. So there's, there is that, you know, in my uh, dreams, I believe that we are not these terrible things and that we can fix this and we can be good again. I see terrible things. I see a sickness in a world on its knees. It will take what you love like a thief. But in my dreams I believe we're not these terrible things. Even though since we finished that song, it seems like that's not the prediction. It just keeps going. Oh, God. Keep believing. So, keep believing. 
hanging on by a thread. But that was a beautiful one to perform. And Joe, you were doing some finger picking in there, just showing a different side Terrible of yourself, which was awesome. Yeah, so, I, I mentioned last time, I love the acoustic tone on the record. Oh, yeah. Thanks, yeah. It was a Martin, right? Yeah, what did you I have this uh, Martin 18 golden era yeah. with sinker mahogany, like two or 300 year old mahogany that they found in mahogany. Belize or something. <laughs> they just made a handful of them for a guitar center. And, like, and you got one. And I got yeah. one. That was when I was going through the, uh, all right, I want, like, I need a great acoustic. I need a great Strat, a great Tilly, mm -hmm. a great Les Paul, you know, like just building up the beginnings of my arsenal. And I can relate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right? yeah. You got to have, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's got a magical thing to it. Like the balance, the bass, the bracing uh -huh. inside is the same bracing they did in the 30s, Martin. Mm -hmm. And it's just, there's no pickup or input jack or anything. It's just a really light, resonant piece of wood, you know? And it's balanced. I don't know. It's a beautiful guitar. So we mic'd it up. Just, you know, it's so crispy. It's fun to record that stuff. You know, you got your headphones on and you can hear the chair creak, you know, like it's just, <laughs> you're in it. It's a very distinct sound. Yeah. All right. Uh, tell me about My Redemption. <laughs> that one's a banger. That's uh, just all, rip all riffage all the time. Kind of the opposite of that big rock thing I was yeah. talking about. Yeah, <laughs> filling it <laughs> up. <laughs> just go and... <laughs> Yeah, there's also an insane amount of words, which what I wasn't thinking about when we were putting it together is that uh, on stage, I'm going to need oxygen at some point, not, not like, <laughs> but just like breathing. I'm going to need to inhale. Right. You need to breathe. You need to catch a breath. It's like, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I'm like, what did we do to ourselves? <laughs> did not take it easy. I needed to write that song. I was doing a little self-forgiveness exercise and decided to put that into a song. Very important. Yeah, you know, it's like we all make mistakes, mm. things aren't, and it's like I can spiral out just mentally with myself. Like I can talk myself in or out of doing things, you know, and worrying about things that I either can't change or happened a while ago. And, and this was, a form of therapy for me to get through that. But again, I had far too much to say about that. And there was, a, there's just a lot of words. <laughs> like every time we play it, all right, here comes this rapid fire part. Let's go. <laughs> but bombshell is right next to it, which is yeah, sort of like the complete opposite. There's the opposite. There's the opposite of that. That started out as a, like on a voice memo, I was uh, tuning up. Nick had the 70s Les Paul custom. And plugged, ah. we had to plug it into this diesel or something. And I was tuning up the high E string and the tuning peg failed. The gears stripped. It just yeah. went fully slack. Oh, no, Nick, I broke your guitar. Oh, no. <laughs> I like hit the string, you know, just slack, kind of barely, maybe even a little bit stuck to the pickup, you know. And it was like, meow, 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 meow. I was like, it's oh, like, that sounds cool. It's like cool. super... <laughs> It was like <laughs> oh, I love massive it. sounding, but the tiniest string yeah. is deadly you're loose. You're so barely I, touching it. So like, I put it, yeah, because you touch it, yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, so yow, wide, yeah. Yow. <laughs> like, oh, that's a cool riff. That sounds amazing. 
put it in my phone and finally got to working on it during the pandemic and kind of put this track together. And so we were talking about earlier, she took it into her little vocal scene. Like, and I, just I think I have a, a, like a musical bed for this. I'm like, awesome. So then I'm like, let me see what I can do. I went through a couple different things and then finally I'd been thinking about it a lot. This is kind of what we were talking about before about having an opinion when it's just, you know, the whole shut up and sing thing or shut up and play. And I just figured, I'm like, well, I can always have the last word if I write a song about it. So, <laughs> so this was kind of my middle finger to that. And it just went, yes. it felt like it, even though like I was writing on top of your bed of music, it felt like it just fit, you know, like it was meant to be yeah. that. It, so, it was meant to be. Yeah. Next time we're at, at the same show, we'll hang for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you doing this with us, man. It's so much fun talking with you. And oh, I'm so glad to hear delightful. that. It's awesome. I'm almost, I'm almost glad we got this like second hang, you know? It's almost a blessing. Yeah. It is. It was meant to happen. Yeah. Great to talk to you guys. Thanks. All right. Bye. How cool was that? And how cool are they? I really enjoyed hearing about how the songs are created, especially the one that started out with the broken tuning mechanism on the guitar and led to a riff that went boom, boom. And we actually went on. We had a whole talk about cameras, me and Joe. But it was kind of inside baseball. So I'm going to save that for bonus footage. And just a final thought. I know a lot of folks listen to us because we tend to focus on music that falls out of the purview of what is considered commercial or accessible. There's going to be occasional exceptions. Lizzie and Joe clearly feel the music that they're doing and their songs. They're not phoning it in. And hey, if the music that you're actually feeling happens to result in chart-topping singles, millions of streams for your videos and albums, Grammy Awards, and sold-out shows at massive venues, hey, as long as it's sincere, ain't nothing wrong with that. And now it's time to read us out. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Production for Osiris by Kirsten Cluthy. Editing and mixing by Justin Thomas. Artwork by Mark Dowd. Original music by yours truly, Alex Skolnick, here on this outro, joined by Nathan Peck on the bass and Matt Zabrowski on the drums. Other musical clips throughout by our guests, Hailstorm, not hard to find, by the way. Google them. And their new album is called Back from the Dead. And if you hear this before December 12th and you're a listener in London, catch them with Ultra Bridge at a little dive bar called the O2 Arena. That's it for our Hailstorm episode. Thanks again to Lizzie and Joe. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe or follow if you haven't. And we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. December? Wow. The year is... Ent oh, Jesus. Shut up. Shut up. Hey! Osiris. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, 
our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.